Open your Bibles with me to Romans 13 as we continue our walk through the book of Romans. A couple of announcements on the 24th of this month. Ashley will be here having come back from South America and she will give us an update on what's going on down there. Um, also, there will be a meeting this afternoon in, in discussing the mil- children's ministry moving forward in the church. Um, so um, don't worry if you're not here, you can, be, um, you can be appointed or you can be encouraged or um, opportunities will abound um, as God is blessing us with an expanding ministry. Um, how many parents got a text from me this week with some questions on it? What we're going to do starting next week is we are going to walk through the Gospel of John and the book of Genesis. And the plan will be that you will, for example, be in Genesis 1 next week and John chapter 1. um, And there will be a series of questions for which the kids will begin the service next week with an opportunity to answer. Parents, it is your job to prepare them for that. The goal is not to be complicated. The goal is not to trip anybody up. The questions are given to you in advance. The goal is for them to have a better understanding of the creator of the universe, who is Jesus Christ, and the repurchaser of the the universe at the cross, who is Jesus Christ. So we're going to begin in John 1 and Genesis 1. The kids will get questions, a corrected answered question, correctly answered question will give them 10 points. When they get to 100 points, they will get a a gift certificate um, that will be for probably a Christian bookstore. If you want a new study Bible or if you want a shirt or you want something that um, will will show that that you have answered 10 questions. Um, So parents, prepare them. I will be sending texts throughout the week. I will assume that if the kids aren't ready, kids, I'm putting this on your parents. Like I said, if, if you go through Genesis 1, these questions will be right in front of you. The answers will be. Um, You go through John chapter 1, the answers will be right in front of you. Like I said, my goal is not to trick your kids. My goal is for your kids to have a better understanding. If you go out into the world and and someone says, oh, you believe in that God thing, or you believe in Jesus, don't you know, haven't you listened to science, or any of those things, it starts with beginning to answer questions, beginning to know what you believe, and to graduate from there to understand what they believe. So that's where we're going to start. We're in Romans chapter 13. We're going to look initially here at three verses that summarize the entire Bible in Romans chapter 13 that are related to God's plan. If we understand God's plan, and we'll see that plan pretty clearly today, it is to take a lost, fallen, under the yoke of Satan individual to bring them to repentance, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the kindness of God is to bring every human being to repentance. Repentance to serve God. We're going to look at that progression in multiple places in the scripture today. All of the authors of the New Testament say that the entire plan of God is summed up in a single command, and that's love your neighbor as yourself. There is a twofold application in summing up everything God has planned for every human being in two ways. In the world, it is love your neighbor as yourself. In a body of believers, it is love one another. 
And we're going to look at a little bit what love is biblically. It is not necessarily what the world says it is, um, but it is what God says it is. Um, Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, help us to learn how to love each other because your son tells us that loving each other is actually the manner in which it is the mode in which we love you, Father. It is the, the way in which we love your son. And it is the Holy Spirit's goal within us that we are effective in doing those things. Help us to learn, help us to understand, in Jesus' name, amen. In Romans chapter 13, we pick up our text today in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. When we understand what law is or what love is, 1 John 3.18, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions done in truth. There is no Bible verse that tells us to have the feeling of love. Um, speaking love is certainly advantageous, but it is not love itself. Love is a sacrificial giving of yourself on behalf of another without expecting anything in return. And that is what we are born again and designed to do. So Paul tells us here four times in three verses that this summarizes God's plan for your life. If a person is described as a truly loving person in the world and in the church, they have fulfilled the law of God. So he gives us the two aspects here in these two verses. Love your neighbor as yourself, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Love one another, which Jesus is going to introduce to us and explain that when the church is born, that command becomes the primary command. So let's do that. Let's do a little bit different than your notes. Turn to John chapter 13. We're going to... Remember Christ and his death today as we observe communion, we think about what he has done and we anticipate what he is going to do as he returns. This is the upper room in the Gospel of John and I've said this many times that when we look at that night um, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, we have a, a chapter dedicated in our Bibles to that night. In the Gospel of John, which is written long after Jesus had died and gone to heaven, about 50 years later, John is telling us everything that Jesus taught that night. So in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, and 19, all of this is teaching that the disciples received from Jesus the night of the Last Supper. So in John 13, he shows them the full extent of his love by by getting down on his knees and taking off his shirt and washing their dirty feet and explaining to them that this is what I want to pass on to you. I want to teach you and show you love so that you will love one another. And he introduces what he calls a new command in verse 34 of John 13. 
He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's a progression and a turning point at the Last Supper. To the nation of Israel, if you asked a, a, an a expert in the law of Luke chapter 10, what are the greatest commandments? He would know, he would have been trained to answer correctly. The greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commands. So to a nation, a mixture of believing Jews and non-believing Jews, when we comes to the law, the law is given in those two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was a law that was to be obeyed by believers and not believers who were following Israel or lived in Israel, whether you were a Jew or not. What Jesus is doing here at the Last Supper is he is bringing everything into the family, family of believers. So Paul writes all of his letters to people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking to effectively 11 men here because Judas is, has already left the room. He's already gone out to betray him. And he says to those 11 men, I'm leaving now. I'm sending you out. And the new command that I want you to cling to from now on is love one another. So the command, love your neighbor as yourself, is in here, it's out there, it's at work, it's in school, it's everywhere that you go. The command to love one another is in here. So believer to believer, person to person, in person, the command is love one another. So everything will funnel into that. Everything will find its way that, well, I, I'm good good at everything else, the people that I go to church with, Lord, you understand who they are, so I'm struggling with that one. No. Everything funnels into love one another. So he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the standard for me to love you and the standard for you to love me is Christ. It is not, Paul would say in his letters, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we are not wise. Think about that. Think about how practically that's true. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, we compare down, right? At least I'm not like so-and-so. I get along better than some of the people that I go with. The standard is never down and it's never horizontal. It's always up. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you in the same way that I have loved you. So we're familiar with John 3.16. First John 3.16, John writes, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So John, who writes the Gospel of John in 1 John, is echoing what Jesus says. The way that Jesus loved us is the way for us to love each other. There is everything from creation forward is under the umbrella of love. Even the difficult questions like, 
Well, if God is love and God is good, what's up with this world? What's up with the evil? The answer to the question why evil is actually love. In order for there to be a paradigm or a human race with the the option to love God back, it has to be put in place in free will because it is love. So if we're going to love people by choice, there has to be free will. Free will brings with it evil. Evil actually proves good. Good actually proves God. Turn in your Bibles um, to John chapter 15. We start with, and everything flows into Romans chapter 13 that we read. Four times in three verses, Paul is saying that in this, this masterpiece of the book of Romans, that loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills the whole law. Loving one another in the church is God's full plan for you. Jesus taught these things before the Apostle Paul. Again, in John chapter 15, we're on the same night that we are at the Last Supper in John chapter 13. All of this is teaching from that night. So in John chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So now we're defining love through the words of Jesus Christ. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. They could have immediately said, we do love you, Jesus. We love you a lot. We care about you. And then he says, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we read in John 13, Jesus saying, I want you to love one another. This is my new command. And the standard for doing that is the way that I've loved you. He's just physically washed their feet. He's in a room where Satan possesses Judas in that upper room that night. He's in a room where James and John are arguing about who gets to sit next to Jesus in heaven. He's in a room where Peter is about to promise, I will never deny you. And he's hours before they all leave him. And he's saying, I want you to love one another the way that I love you. In John 15, he says, I remain in my father's love because I do what he says. You remain in my love if you do what I say. And then he says, I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. If you want complete joy, Jesus says, remain in my love. If you want to remain in my love, he says, do what I say. And then later in verse 17, he says, this is my command. Love each other. If you do that, Jesus is saying to them, everything else falls into place. Everything else is fulfilled. Paul says the entire law of God, everything that he has to say, becomes fulfilled when we love each other. 
turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we look at Paul's first letter. Galatians chapter 5 is very much like the book of Romans. It's written many years before the book of Romans. It is the first doctrinal book to the church, written about 49 A.D. And we're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is all encompassed in the first fruit of the Spirit, which is love. So he says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Love encompasses all of them. So when he says you fulfill the whole law if you love each other, if you obey the first fruit of the Spirit, you do them all. In other words, you can't be patient outside of love. You can't be good outside of love. You can't be gentle outside of love. So earlier in this chapter, in verse 16, he says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you do what I tell you, remain in my love, you won't do the things that are called sin. We back up a little farther in verse 5 to verse, or chapter 5, and verse 13, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, again, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, were called to be free. So Jesus says in the Gospel of John, he says, If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then a few verses later, he says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Here Paul asks the, ask, answers the question, what does it mean to be free? Because, and it might appear in the American church that grace says I can do anything I want. I can go anywhere I want. I can do it on my terms. But Paul is explaining in chapter 5, he does in verse 1 and 2, and he's explaining here again, you are free to serve Christ. You are free to love one another. Jesus has promised us in John 15 that we will have complete joy if we do. Here in verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serving and loving are interchangeable. They are the same thing. How do I love someone? I serve them. When I serve them, I love them. It is always, as John says, actions done in truth. It is always in the Bible, the picture that Jesus gives is what you do for someone is a demonstration of love. God is a God of emotions just like we are. God is a God who speaks what he believes just like we should. But Jesus demonstrated that love itself is an action. So when the Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us, it talks about the cross, what Jesus did. It says in the Gospels that Jesus never came to be served. He only came to serve others. So when he says, love each other just as I have loved you, he's given us the blueprint. Verse 14, same thing we read in Romans for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 as Peter talks about this. 1 
1 Peter chapter 4. We're studying the book of Romans. Peter is writing 1 Peter from Rome. He and Paul are there. He and Paul would both face their death there about three years after Peter writes 1 Peter. And right after he writes 2 Peter, both Paul and Peter would be executed in Rome. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we pick up the text in verse 7. Paul is going to address the rapture in a few minutes in chapter 13. Here Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So, so many things that love accomplishes. First of all, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you truly love people, you're loving God. And if you are truly loving people and loving God, the law is fulfilled. Here Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. If a body of believers in a church makes tons of mistakes, um, even in how they say things and interact, if they truly love each other, Peter says love will cover it. doesn't mean it will be easy. It means you'll get through it. You'll make it through if you truly love each other. So Peter says here that love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Paul writes this in all his letters. Peter writes it here. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Again, love in verse 8 is serve in verse 10. They're not different. I love you guys, I care about you, but I just, it's, I'm not a servant. I'm not going to be available to serve. Jesus, Peter, Paul, James, and John would all say, then you don't love. That's the reality. You have feelings, you have emotions, you have what the world calls love, but serving each other and obeying Christ is what God calls love. So again, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You're actually using God's grace given you, through you. John will explain to us in a minute that love never begins with me. It never comes from my heart. It never comes from my soul or my personality. Love is only available to you if it comes to Christ, from Christ, through me, to you. So when we even look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, none of those come from me. It's impossible. Those are distributions of grace that have their starting place as the Holy Spirit. What can happen, what is amazing, what is amazing grace, like um, Chris said, is that God can love you through me. That he can do that, that the patience that doesn't exist in me can actually work through me. That the, the goodness and the gentleness that are not from my nature since the Garden of Eden can actually come through me, from Christ, by the Holy Spirit. That's what they're explaining to us. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so 
as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Again, all of this is from God, but because we are his, because his spirit lives in us, they can go through us so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and, and the power forever and ever. Amen. So the ultimate pinnacle of the finished work of God is God the Father receiving glory. That happens when I submit, when I lay my life down for others, then God can love people through me, which brings God glory. It is God, 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 God. But amazing grace is that it can all happen through me. It can happen in me, it can happen through me, and you can receive God's love through me, though it didn't start in me. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's hard to know where to stop and where to start in 1 John because he's talking about this subject through the entire book. So it is 1 John 3.16 where he says, This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. Two verses later in verse 18 in chapter 3, he says, Let us not love with words and speech. I love you, man. That's great. But with actions done in truth. Love will cost you every time. Love is a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1, saying, I'm laying down myself on your behalf. I see what you need. I have needs too. I'm going to meet yours. I see that, that you're in a predicament. I'm in one too. I'm going to step into yours with you. That's grace. That allows the power of God to come through us. So in chapter 4, he is talking about all these same things. We'll pick up the text in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. This is the theme all through the New Testament, ever since Jesus said that at the Last Supper. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. There's a lot of theological questions there. Can a person who is not born again love? No. They can have feelings. They can have emotions. They can like people. They can lust for things. They can want things. They can, they can consider you a better friend than someone else. But what John is saying here is that love only comes from God. It never originates in a human being. So the very fact that if a person genuinely loves another person demonstrate that that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's look at that verse 7 again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John is theologically saying that whatever they want to call it, whatever they think it is, the reality is the only people who can love are born of God. So love doesn't come and go. We don't fall in love. We don't fall out of love. 
we choose to serve others and we do it by the power of God, the love that we share comes from God. So literally it says in Galatians 5, fruit from the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit takes the love of Christ, and if I'm submissive, I'm saying, okay, it's not going to be about me today. I'm to love others just like Christ. Let's see, when did Christ do things for his benefit? Never. So that's my example. If I step into that, then the supernatural power of God can flow through me to others. And that's why Jesus said, as we, in John chapter 13, verse 35, if this happens in the church, if you have a group of people that literally love each other like Christ, then the world will know you follow me. Jesus says Christians are defined and demonstrated, put on display in the world by how they love each other in church. Jesus says that, John says that right here when he says, whoever, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Peter didn't get this when Jesus rose from the dead, when, when Jesus said, um, Peter, do you love me? They use two di different Greek words, so he's saying, do you agape me? That's what he's talking about here. Peter, do you love me without any restraints, without expecting anything back? Would you lay down your life for me as I laid it down for you? Peter says, I really care about you. I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus says, that's not what I'm asking you. Do you love me like I love you? Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. There's the negative of it. If a person is not born again, then they cannot love. Because God is love. This is not just a characteristic of God. God is love. He is incapable of not loving because he is love itself. We get in trouble in the world when we say, okay, if God is love, why this? The question is backwards. Because we're comparing God to this instead of this to God. Why would God allow this to happen in the world? Well, Jim, the same reason that he allowed you to live sinfully for so long. Where was God when my child, when my mother, when my friend died? The same place he was when his son died. Loving. Love costs everyone. Christ gave everything to demonstrate that. Verse 9 this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Again, it is, the, it is Christ's life by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables a human being to love. And that's powerful. That's supernatural. It is impossible for that to happen from me. And that demonstrates that it's not from me, that it is from God. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. 
Again, he keeps saying the same fulfillment in the church over and over again. Verse 12 again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the demonstration to the world that I'm a Christ follower is the way that I love people. Guess what? John is saying here, the demonstration to myself that I follow Christ is I love people. It demonstrates to everyone around you. We back up a few verses in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 where he says that we are all part of a body, this one another that he is talking about, and he says, you belong to me and I belong to you. When we understand that, then we get down to Romans 12 and verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Human beings, Christians, human beings, typically decide their involvement with other believers as what they will gain from being involved. That's not love. Being devoted to one another in love and honoring one another above yourselves is saying, I will determine my involvement and my serving and my loving based on your needs. That takes supernatural love. That takes way more than Jim. But all he's asking from me is to choose it. He's not asking for power. He's not even asking for perfect etiquette. He's just asking for authenticity. If you love people, they will know that you follow me. And if you love people, you will know that you follow me. And the people you serve with will know that you follow me. Drop down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We read earlier, it's not the other way around. God, I love you, I want to be saved. No, it was God saying, Jim, I love you. Here is my offer. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. So if we go back to Luke chapter 10, an expert in the law comes to Jesus wanting to hear from Jesus, eternal life is yours, you've certainly earned it. So he says to Jesus, um, according to the law, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, how do you understand the law? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, then do that. And the expert in the law says, in order to limit the command, says, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he describes two people who avoid this man who was beaten and robbed and left half dead, according to Jesus' words. And then a third man, a Samaritan, who is despised by everyone, comes along, he takes care of this man's wounds, 
he stops his business journey. He goes back in the opposite direction with this man on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays the innkeeper for the medical supplies and the room and board, and says, I'll pay anything else I owe when you come back. He says, do this and you will live. He is saying to this expert in the law who is wanting to say, I'm good enough. I do love God. Love your neighbor too. Who's my neighbor, he says. See, when John is saying here in 1 John that it's impossible to love God without loving others. You can't do it. So the reason that Jesus every time narrows it down to love one another, that's the single command, Jesus says, is because the single command fulfills both. The way that I love God is by loving you. The extent to which I love God is the extent to which I love you. John and Jesus and James and Peter and Paul are all saying this to us. See, we think of anger and hatred as the opposite of love. The Good Samaritan tells us the opposite of love isn't hate. So when we see hate in the Bible, what is being described is apathy. So the two people in Jesus' perfect parable don't say, we hate this person, so we don't want anything to do with him. They just simply say, I don't want to get involved. I have things to do. I have places to go, people to see. So they literally walk over to the other side of the street, so it's as if, don't even know what's going on over there. It may be his own fault. Maybe he caused this. I don't want to interrupt. Jesus is saying the person who puts down his life and goes and helps that individual is loving. The opposite of doing that is apathy. How many times have you, let me ask this better, how many times have I avoided someone else's need? written it off to, you know what, I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, I'll pray about them as I continue on my way. I hope everything is all right there. Um, Jesus is saying, that's not how I loved you. John is saying here, the people that you see in front of you are the people that God is telling you to love. And if you don't love them, he says, it's impossible for you to love him. We have a sense in us that I love God all the time. Jesus and John here is saying, that means you love people all the time. And if you don't love people all the time, we look at verse 20 again. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates or has apathetic or they'll figure it out or I'll pray about them or someone else will come along. I'm not the right person. All of those excuses, John says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love God their brother and sister, meaning that you can't separate the commands. 
John says it is impossible to love God if you're not currently loving people. If you are loving people, if you are sacrificially saying, okay, what do you need today? How can I help you today? How can I benefit you and serve you today? John says it is impossible to say, I'm not loving them right now, but I am loving God. So the reality is God is love. He loves me whether I obey him or not. But he's my friend, according to the Bible. He is in approval. He has fellowship with me. 1 John chapter 1 says that if we don't do these things and we say we're okay the way we are, we actually call God a liar and our fellowship is broken with him. If you aren't loving to your wife today, you're still married. If you're not loving to God today and you are his child, you're still his child. But fellowship is broken. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, let's go back to Romans first and look at the, our last verses in chapter 13 before we go to Ephesians. Romans 13, verse 11 Paul, like Peter, is pointing to the end. He's, he's, he's pointing to the, the rapture here, and he's challenging us to obey these things. So when he says in verse 11, after he has said twice, love one another and twice love your neighbor as yourself, and that, that fulfills the law, and anyone who does it has fulfilled the law. And then he says, and do this, loving one another, Understanding the present time, the hour is already come and you for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What is he talking about? Our salvation and its completion is already completed in God's eyes, Romans 8, 29 and 30, meaning that the moment that we are saved, we are saved forever. So we are saved from condemnation. We are being saved from temptation. We will ultimately be saved from sin itself and suffering itself. So Paul here is saying we're closer than we ever have been. The, the simple truth is that how close is the rapture? Closer than it's ever been. How close are you to meeting Jesus Christ? Closer than you've ever been. Paul is in a sense saying you don't get this day over. He could come today. Serve him today. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, verse 12. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. When we look at the armor of Ephesians 6, we are literally putting on Jesus Christ, as Paul will say in a minute. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When will the desires of my flesh be silenced? When I die. So I can follow Christ faithfully enough that I can put things behind continuously. I can renew my mind. I can say, okay, this is what Christ would do. 
here's what God's word says. This is what Paul tells us to do. And whenever I step into that, Galatians 5.16, all of the desires of the flesh are silent. Can't do anything. But that doesn't come naturally. I don't wake up in the bed thinking about what everyone else needs. I wake up in the morning having to choose to think about what everyone else needs. So Paul is saying here that we have to choose. We have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the belt of truth, Jesus. The feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel is Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness is Jesus. The helmet of salvation is Jesus. The sword of the Spirit is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of those things are being Christ-following, Christ-like. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you ask the question, why did Jesus come? John 18, 37, to testify to the truth. If you ask the question, why did Jesus die? It summarizes everything we're looking at today. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter Chapter 5 and verse 15 says, He died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him. Question, how do I live for Him? By loving you. By serving you. John says you can't separate those things. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he explains that when we hear the message about Christ, the true offer, Romans 1, 5, obedience that comes from faith. Follow me, Jesus says. When we hear that word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you are marked in him with the seal, one of the things that we lose in the evangelical world is the power that comes when we're born again. The power to do what is right in every circumstance. It has to be chosen. It won't come naturally, but there's never a circumstance from the moment you're sealed in Christ that you will lack the power to do what he wants you to do. The power is there immediately. So you're sealed so that our inheritance, our future is guaranteed. When we come to Ephesians chapter 2, we read familiar verses. We begin in verse 8. For it is by grace, we sang that today, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace and faith are both gifts from God. Faith comes from God, Romans 10, 17, by hearing the truth, the true offer of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Luke 24, verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins is the beginning place. I repent. I turn from the world. I'm following Christ. Power comes to me in the person of the Holy Spirit, which represents Christ. So John 3, 16, we know. Luke 3, 16, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water. When he comes, he will baptize with power. And with the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead comes to me when I accept Christ. 
So in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. Always familiar with that as a kid. Understanding how he saves me. But I didn't understand why he saves me. And I don't know if you can be saved by just knowing how. In other words, how he saves me is by grace, through faith, not my works. It's all from God. Why he saves me is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. His magnificent, his handiwork, his new creation is for the purpose of the good works that are planned before he saved you. So what we lose in the world today is why we are saved. If you are saved, you are saved for the purpose of obeying God. And Jesus and everyone we have read today say that that purpose is summed up in love one another. So if we drop down in chapter 2 to verse 11, we have this progression. Chapter 1, 13 and 14, born again saved supernaturally chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 by grace through faith to do the good works we drop down to verse 11 therefore remember that formerly you who are gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body and by human hands remember that at that time you were separate from christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So that's how destitute we were before we're saved by grace, before we're saved for his purpose. Verse 14, for he, Christ himself, is our peace who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. What he is describing on its broadest terms is ethnicity, racism, different cultures were covered at the cross. Saved, born again, to good works. First work, no favoritism, love everyone, open your doors, obey Christ. And that was the, the first work that Paul gives us in the work of the Holy Spirit when we are saved. So verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law and its commands and regulations. How is the law fulfilled, Paul? Through loving one another. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, what's God's purpose? No one is left out. There's no favoritism. One, uh, one of the things that should happen way more than it is, there should be more ethnicity, cross-culture, backgrounds, 
there should be more diversity in the church. What we're being told by Paul here is that racism and ethnicities and cultures were all laid out on the cross because the purpose of God is to make one body, everyone equal, in Christ Jesus, love one another. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create for himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Unity is the goal of church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where we see the design of the church. The book of Ephesians is the body of Christ. So we started with being born again, saved unto good works, first works, everyone is equal. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no black, there's no white, there's no culture differences, there's no ethnic groups that need to be separate. The cross has covered all of that. This is the design of the church, verse 11. So Christ himself gave apostles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do all the work, right? No. Verse 12, what are all those people sent for? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the doctrine of the church, that we all come together saved by grace, not by works. His message, his spirit, his convincing, his repentance, his making me a new creation, his works which he planned in advance for us to do. When you become a member of a body of believers, his purpose for the church begins in your life. And his purpose is that the prophets, apostles, pastors, and teachers aren't there to do the work. They're do, there to equip people for the work. And if the work is done in love, that church becomes mature, immovable. When Jesus said the gates of hell cannot withstand the church, this is what he was talking about. So verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, here's the goal of God in this church and in every church that follows Christ. Speaking the truth in love, what happens if you do that? We will grow to become in every, res every respect 
the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. How close do we move? What will love ask of us? Will it ask you to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. Will it ask you to step outside of your box? Absolutely. Is it necessary to do so for the power of God, the manifold wisdom of God to be displayed in the world, Paul says? Absolutely. It's going to ask you to become more like Christ and less like me. And it's going to ask us to do that together and to be devoted to one another in love. This is how close, verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You want to destroy Satan in this world? Be in a church where each part does its work, where each person loves each other, where each person says, okay, from now on, my decisions are not on what will benefit me, but what will benefit those that Christ has given me to serve. And Paul says here that if a body of believers will come together and do that, they will be bound together like ligaments that no storm, no trial, no persecution, no government can pull them apart. Easy? No. The only fulfillment on this earth? Yes. That is the only reason that Christ didn't take us to be with him. If we love each other in the body, the world will start to change out there. Because Jesus said, if you love each other, it is by this that the world will know that you follow me. If I genuinely love you and you genuinely love me, the world will take notice. Because there's nothing like that out there. It's get mine. Guess what? My natural tendency is get mine. But if we submit to loving each other, the world changes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of your son that he already has done. He walked the earth for 33 years without once loving himself even equally with his love for others. Help us to do that, Lord. It's, we live in a world where if we make our lives about each other, we're going we're gonna to be out of step with the world. Um, but that's exactly what the world needs to see so that we can introduce them to your son. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.